My name is Nicholas Mendoza, and I'll be reading from Ephesians 5, uh, 1, 21 through 33. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to the Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. This is where we will today be spending the bulk of our time, unlike last week. We are coming and we're looking at what God's Word has to say about specific relationships that we as believers in Jesus Christ engage in. We're looking specifically at marriage itself. And what I said last week, and I'm going to say again today, because really this message, church, is kind of part two of a three-part series of messages on marriage. And so not any one of these parts of, any one of these messages should be taken kind of outside of the context of the others. You kind of need all of them. So in just a moment, I'm going to kind of summarize what we looked at last week, and then we're going to get into to this week's message. But um, I remember one time I was, uh, I think it was maybe on our honeymoon, uh, we had the opportunity years and years ago, uh, we were in Europe and we were looking at cathedrals and looking at murals that were on the wall. And I remember going into one church, can't remember where, I, I tried to, to rehearse it in my mind where it was, but when you looked up on the ceiling, there was this, there was this just amazing painting that was uh, on the ceiling. And the interesting thing was, if you just looked at one section of the painting up on the ceiling, something that stood out to me was it was a painting of Judgment Day. And so you had people falling into hell and, you know, demons reaching up and grabbing them and everything. And, and if you had just isolated that picture, and I just said, well, here's, here's the picture, here's the painting that I saw, you'd think, well, oh, that's just a painting of hell. That's a painting of, of judgment and demons. That's, that's not a, that great of, of a painting. That's not very, very pleasant. But the reality was that was only a part of the painting. The, the fuller painting was the whole story of God's creation of humanity all the way to Judgment Day, but also a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection. And so the whole story of redemption was there. But if, you, but if I just showed you the one part of that painting, you would think, well, you know, this painting is just about judgment and hell and demons and Satan, all those kind of things. When in reality, no, that was just one part of a beautiful picture that was trying to communicate God's redemptive plan for all humanity. 
And when we come to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, we're getting a, a, a snapshot, we're just getting a, a glimpse, if you will, of, of marriage and the relationship between husbands and wives. And, and sometimes it's important for us to, to pull back and understand the full context of the husband and wife relationship in the context of marriage before we can actually understand the instructions that are given here. And when you pull back, you begin to see the beauty of it. So, are you ready for this? Because I'm going to speak today like, you know, go back, watch it on half speed. I got lots of words here, all right? Because we, we need to start with this. When we think about what God's Word says about marriage, not David's opinion, not society's opinion, but God's Word, we got to start with this, that marriage, it's, it's with men and women, and the Bible says that men and women are of equal worth and value. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. amen. Like, we understand through God's word that he made us both in the image of God. In fact, we indicated the importance of the fact that the woman was made from man and she wasn't made from some other material in the created universe. She was actually made from man. So they're made of the same stuff. Men and women are of equal worth, of equal value. Both are made in the image of God. And what God did with the creation of man and woman was he also then created marriage. And, and marriage is something that was created by God. It's not a man-made institution. It's not a societal thing. It's something that God said. It's not good that man should be alone. And we looked at the number of reasons why it wasn't good for man to be alone. Uh, two of the big ones were the fact that God exists in eternal relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In order for man to display his image, he would have to engage with others like him because God exists in relationship, so God creates woman for the man. And then he's given man a purpose in the world to be fruitful, multiply, to fill the earth, to reflect his image. And so the woman and the man come together and they, and they bear God's image together. So, so listen, society doesn't define marriage. God defines marriage. And when we look at that, we discover that marriage is a covenantal union between a man and a woman for life. It's a covenantal union. It's not a contract. It's not just a profession of love for the other person. It's a union that I enter into with someone of the opposite sex. That's what marriage is. It's between a man and a woman. A woman. Husbands are always men. Men are always male. Wives are always women, and women are always female, according to the Bible, not according to me. This is what God's Word clearly teaches. He says, for a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. Male and female, he created them to join together in this covenantal union. And the beautiful thing about making a covenant it's a binding promise, and it's not contingent upon emotions, it's not contingent upon circumstances, and it's not contingent upon feelings. It supersedes all of those things. Love is not the thing that holds a marriage together. Covenant is what holds a marriage together. Because feelings of attractions, feelings of, of affection can rise and fall with each and every day, but what keeps us committed is, I'm saying to you, despite how I might feel in the moment, I'm covenanting to you. I'm coming and I'm joining my life with you. And here's why. Because the purpose of marriage is to join your life with another, to help and be helped by that person to live out your life as an image bearer of God. Amen. That's why the two become one. 
is because God has given you a purpose in this world to bear his image, to be a reflection of him. And, and so God says it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to give him a helper suitable for him. And when it says I'm going to give him a helper, that word for helper isn't, isn't a word that's, that's somebody who's less than. To be a helper, you either have to, to be greater than, equal to, or to have what the other person is lacking. And so God says I'm going to give the man a woman. I'm going to give the husband a wife. And the two, when they come together, they're there to commit to one another, just saying, I want to see you live the life that God has has for you, and the other person says, I want to see you live the life that God has for you. I need your help. You need my help, and we're going to do this together. We're not going to go at it alone. And, and that's at the core of what marriage is. It's not just you have to find the person attractive, and it sure isn't, oh, you complete me. That's not what marriage is about. Marriage is about two people joining their lives together in a covenant that says, I want to help you live as an image bearer of God. And so we said last week, listen, marriage is not about your happiness. It's about your Christ-likeness. If the aim of your marriage is to, is to have the other person make you happy, they will fail you. And if you're married, they already have. Can I get an amen to that, right? Like, thank you. Wow, you guys were on that one. That's where I get the amen? Come on now. All right. So, no, like, because we know that the other person can't do for us what only God can do. But when we understand you're there to, to help me. And, and part of the sanctifying work that God is doing in my life, because here's the beautiful thing. Guess what? Christ-likeness leads to happiness. When we're walking as God would have us walk. And so this is the larger context of marriage. Before we ever look at Ephesians chapter 5, we say, do we understand these things? Do we understand this is God's design for marriage and this is what marriage is ultimately about? Because if you don't understand these things, then you, then you don't have that biblical foundation that helps us to better understand what's in our text this morning. But here's where I'm going to pause, and I just want to say a couple of things, because I know in a church like ours that there are some single people that are here today. Like, it's not just a bunch of married people that are a part of, of the church. And I want to say three things specifically to you. The first one is good news. You do not have to be married in order to live as an image bearer of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Marriage is not necessary for you to have a life of fullness and fulfillment according to God's design. And you know why I can say that? Do you know why you can be single and still live in the fullness of what it means to be an image bearer of God? Number one, because you can experience community inside the life of the church. But most importantly, the most full and complete image bearer of God that ever existed was single and his name was Jesus Christ. And so anybody that comes and says, I need marriage to, to make me be something that God wants me to be, the answer is only Christ can be that for you. And Christ demonstrates that. So that's number one. Number two, I hope that a message like this on marriage, if you're single, it informs your future relationships in your dating. I hope that if you're single and you're hearing these messages, you should be hearing this and thinking, oh, this doesn't apply to me. No, this has everything to do with you. If God ever were to look you to bring you into a relationship with another person, that this is your foundation. That dating and finding a spouse, it's not about me filling up in myself something that I feel is lacking, is some, some hole that, that I have. It's not about me satisfying my desires. That's not what it's about at all. Dating someone as a follower of Jesus Christ is to say, listen, I'm going to commit to this person. I'm going to covenant with this person. I'm going to bind myself with them because together we're going to walk hand in hand looking to Jesus Christ. And, and so for the young people here today, like this is why don't you dare get in a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex if you yourself don't understand who Christ has called you to be. 
Like if you're looking to engage with somebody in a relationship of the opposite sex and you don't understand that the purpose of that relationship is to point that person more to Jesus Christ rather than satisfy any kind of desires that you have, then you're going to be leading that person further away from Jesus than towards him. All right? Like I can speak that because that's not me speaking. That's what God's word says. And, And so like this is as a single person, these messages are important So many relationships start off on the wrong foot because they didn't understand God's design. But today, after last week's message and this week's message, you can't say that. So God holds you to account. There you go. And and then here's the last thing. Like, if you're a single person as well, like, there's a pretty good chance you know somebody that's married. And so as you hear these things as a single person here today, know that God's given you the opportunity to come alongside of them as you hear these things. If you know someone that's a wife or somebody that's a husband— You get to come alongside of them and say, let me encourage you, let me support you in what God has called you to in this this role because you're being equipped with these these things. So God's word, it goes out and it it doesn't return, you know, absent and void. Like it has something to speak to, to everybody. So with that said, that's the larger context. That's kind of the introduction. Now let's get to the immediate verse that we see before us today. When we come to Ephesians chapter 5, We see in verses 22 and following, Paul addressing husbands and wives. And we have to ask the question, after all that he has said in this book, why all of a sudden, Paul, do you hone in on a very specific relationship that we experience in the world? Well, it goes back to verse 1, and I've said this before. Verse 1 says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. God, through the apostle Paul, is concerned for us trying to understand and to live out as his followers, what does it mean to be an imitator of God in the specific relationships that we live in? And so what we find in the verses this morning is God's word speaking to us and saying to us, listen, I've called you to be an imitator of me because you're beloved children, but now let me tell you what that looks like. And as we've seen thus far in, verse, or in chapter 5, it means that we walk in love, it means that we walk in light, and we walk in wisdom. But what does love, light, and wisdom, what does it look like in the very specific relationships God has given us? Well, look at verse 21. Therefore, be imitators of God's beloved children. Jump down to 21, because it's all connected. Submitting to one another out of reverence for who? Christ. So because of your relationship with Christ, this verse tells us there are certain relationships you will engage in in the world where to walk in love, light, and wisdom means being in a position of submission to other people. So the bigger context right here of what we're about to hear is he's saying, listen, you're going to be in certain relationships, and some of those relationships require your submission. Now, this verse is not telling us, as some think it was, if you just read this word, verse too basically, you think that it's like, oh, all Christians are submit to one another. That's not what this passage is saying. That's not what this verse is all about. And we know this because of what comes next. In the following verses, Paul gives three very distinct relationships where submission is a manifestation of what it means to walk in light, to walk in love, and to walk in wisdom. And the very first one is verse 22. Let's read it together. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So verse 21 says, submit to one another. And then he says, now here's what I mean. And the first relationship that this manifests itself in is wives submitting to your husbands. 
Now, there's something really fascinating about verse 22, and I just got to point it out. If you were reading this verse in the Greek, you would discover that the word submit is actually not in verse 22. It's not mentioned in the Greek at all. Now, in other passages, Paul says this exact same thing, and the word is mentioned, but it's not mentioned there in the Greek. Instead, it literally reads in the, in the Greek, it would read this way, wives as to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's what it would read in the Greek. Now, why is the word submit not there? Because that's, that verse, it doesn't have a verb. The verb goes back to verse 21. He's literally saying, all right, submit to one another. Now, here's what I mean. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He's connecting these two, two verses. In fact, the absence of the word is the emphasis of the word. And so he wants us to know that what he said in verse 21, that verse 22 is the specific application of it. And when you look at the instruction here, church, it's really clear. The instruction is wives who bear God's image in their marriage submit to their husbands. That, that's kind of the broad thing that he's saying here. He's saying wives who are going to bear God's image, if you are in the role of a wife, then that means that you're going to submit to your husband. He's walking light, walking love, walking wisdom, and so part of what that means is being in submission to certain people in certain relationships, and that, that means first and foremost, wives, that they're supposed to submit. Now, here's where I have to just pause before I go any further, and I have to address something because I know that the moment that you hear something in God's Word like, wives submit, you're going to potentially lose some people because they can take God's word out of its context or they can use it in ways that it wasn't intended. And so the moment that we hear the word submit in our culture today, is it fair to say that's a loaded word? <laughs> Especially when it's directed at women? Absolutely, absolutely. Because I think for most of us, when we hear the word submission, it conjures up a slave and master ownership relationship. I think it, it, sometimes we think about it as someone being forced to do something against their will. And so before I go any further, church, it's of utmost importance for us to understand, like, God's word, what are you saying here? What does it really mean for us to submit? We don't want to walk away with a false definition. We don't want to say less than God's word says. We don't want to say more than God's word says. So let me state from the outset that I hope if you spent any time here in this church, you already know what I'm about to say, and that is submission in this verse, it has nothing to do with forcing someone to do something against their will, and it has nothing to do with forcing someone to serve another person. It has nothing to, to do with that. And why do I say this? Well, because look at verse 23. Verse 22 says, wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is its Savior. You see, when, when God calls wives to submit to their husbands, it has nothing to do about a wife living a life of servitude to her husband or a wife being called to do things against her will. In verse 23, Paul makes a statement that the husband is the head of the wife. Now, why does that matter? It matters because the identification of a husband as the head of the wife, it's not a statement about a husband's superiority to his wife. 
nor is it a statement about a husband owning his wife. Instead, Paul is making clear to us it's a statement about the roles God has given to husbands and wives in marriage. As we've already talked about, men and women are equally created in the image of God and of equal worth and value, right? And we've stated that together, both the husband and the wife in, a, in the marriage relationship are there to help the other person live out Christ-likeness. Yet while men and women have equal worth and value and have the same purpose in a marriage, the scriptures are really plain and clear. God has given husbands and wives different roles in marriage. That's what God's word is teaching us here. This is what it's drawing our attention to when it's talking about submission. It's talking about, are you clear that husbands and wives have different roles? God is the creator of humanity, the creator of marriage. He designed marriage in a specific way. Each person in a marriage has a role. And the crazy thing is, like, you and I totally know that this is normal and acceptable in all of society. The idea that people would have different roles is something that is plain and obvious to us. I'm going to take a big picture one. In fact, Peter talks about it, and, and Paul talks about it in Romans. The idea that, that in our society, the government has a role. It's to, to punish the evildoer and to keep order. In fact, when we looked at First Peter, we saw that, that we're supposed to submit to governments because, because you and I aren't supposed to take the law into our own hands. God has established governments in the world to, to enact laws. And now we talked about what that looks like and when to obey and not to obey and those kind of things, but we're called to submit. It's like, don't you go out there being vigilantes. I've established governments to do that. But on a more practical level, I was thinking about, about this. Uh, you know, we know that people have roles like in, in the fire department. I mean, could you imagine if you were in a car accident and you were trapped in your car, somebody called 911. And the, and the firemen were going to come there to, to rescue you, and they're sitting around, and they're waiting for the call, and then they get the call, and they start arguing about who's going to drive the truck to get to you. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, it's my turn to drive. No, it's my turn. Is that how a proper fire department works? No, each one is assigned roles within the fire department, and they accept the roles that they've been, they've been given. In fact, even when they get on scene, one person is supposed to assess it. You don't have a five guys jumping up and trying to all assess and speak into a situation because we understand that there's an importance to every person having different, different roles. If you're on a sports team, you, you, you get this. Different roles are important. It's, it provides structure. It provides order, and that's what God has done within marriage. He says, listen, I've given different roles within a marriage. And that when it talks about the man being the head of the wife, headship equals the role of leadership. Headship equals the role of leadership. This is the plain understanding of what this word means and how it's used throughout the rest of the scripture. That when someone is the head of someone else, it's referring to their leadership over even their authority. And by what I mean by authority, that they're the, they're the final say on matters. And so, so that's what he's saying. Is it's the man has this role of leadership in the home. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, we actually read this here, referring to Jesus Christ. It says that God the Father put all things under his feet and gave him, that is Jesus, as head over all things to the church. So who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He exercises the leadership over the church. And by the way, 
If you're one of those people that really loves to study and get into these things, you, you'll hear some scholars say, um, and I'm going to say liberal scholars will say, well, no, no, it's not talking. When it talks about the head, it doesn't mean that, that that's a position of leadership or role of, of authority. A head means source, so that the husband is the source of the wife. Like the wife can't become a wife without being connected to a husband. Listen, uh, there was one scholar, biblical scholar, that looked at 2,300 times that the word head was used in the Bible and in Greek literature at that time, and not one time does it refer to somebody being the source. But you'll have liberal scholars that say, no, no, this isn't about leadership. This is about the man being, being the source. No, no, the man is called to this leadership role. And so, so what does this mean for our understanding of marriage? You see it in your notes. God has given the husband the role of leadership in a marriage. He's given the husband the role of leadership in a marriage. I'm going to talk about what that means in a second, but listen, this goes all the way back to creation. Why did God make the man, the husband, the, the head of the home? We don't know, but we just know that that's what the Bible says. God created Adam first. God gave Adam the responsibility of naming all the different parts of creation. Adam was the one who, who named Eve. Those are, that's a position of leadership. It doesn't mean that he owns Eve because he named her, just as he doesn't own all the other animals in creation. He's a steward of those things. So in creation, Adam is shown as the one who is taking on the leadership role. And sadly, even in the fall, we see God identifying Adam as the leader you know, when Adam and Eve sinned and ate of the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten of, when they disobeyed God, God came into the garden and he said, well, he said these words, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Who did he call out first? He called out Adam, the man. He didn't say, Adam and Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? And then when he ultimately cursed the creation, the, the responsibility for the sin of humanity fell upon Adam because we see in the rest of the scriptures, we see that Adam is the representative for the race. It says that all in Adam died. Many died through one man's trespass. And so the design within the home is that the man has this role of of leadership, and it's something that goes all the way back to creation. Now, I was reading one author, and he said this week, this is not chauvinism, but creationism. This is God's plan, because God has a design. He's looking for order within all areas of his creation, including the home. Now, I didn't plan this, guys, and I'm saying to the guys, literally just the guys here, I said, next week is Father's Day. Did you know that? Next Sunday's Father's Day. I did not plan this, and next week we're going to look in great detail at the role of the husband in the home. And so all you guys are going to be like, honey, can we stay home next week? We just want to, you know, can you make me some pancakes and eggs? And then the wife is going to be like, I'm called to be your helper, so let's go to church. And that's what's going to happen, okay? But when we look at the husband's role, let me just say this. 
As the leader of the home, let me make it abundantly clear. The role of the husband designed by God is to exercise his leadership to better the lives of everyone who is under his care, even at detriment to himself. The role of a husband is to continually seek after the good of his wife, even at great cost to himself, because the husband understands that he is to model Christ and Christ's relationship to the church when he looks to lead his family. And so, I say that because look at what it says there. For the husband is the head of the wife, verse 23, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Look at, all right, in a marriage relationship, the wife reflects the relationship of the church to Christ. Christ, and the husband represents Christ's relationship to the church, this beautiful union. And that's what he compares the marriage to. And so he's saying, if you want to understand what submission is, you have to understand that God has given us different roles. Submission is first and foremost about acknowledging in a marriage that people inhabit different roles and have different responsibilities in those roles And so if you're going to ask, so what does it ultimately mean? What does it look like for the wife to submit? It's this. God has given wives the role of following, assisting, and supporting the leadership of their husbands. This is what it means when he says submit. The role of the husband is to be the leader. The role of the wife is to follow, assist, support the leadership of her husband. The wife understands that her role is, and therefore her mindset is to be one who acknowledges, I am here to come alongside my husband, that he has a role and responsibility to lead, and I'm there to follow him, to assist him, and to support him in this. Now, the application of assisting, supporting, and following, I mean, we're going to look at that even in more detail next week, because you kind of have to understand the husband's role as well. But when he's calling the wife to submit, this is what he is calling us to I understand if I'm a wife that that I'm there to assist my husband, to support him in his role. And I'm telling you today, a wise husband who understands his role is someone who is going to seek out the assistance and the support of his wife. Because if, if the goal of our marriage is to bring glory to Christ and to help form us each into his image, that then, then I know that I need my wife's help. And my wife understands that, that in her role, she can either thwart or help me in that by how she follows and how she comes along. At the end of the day, I'm going to get in a little bit ahead of myself. When we think about this relationship and what it means for a wife to submit, it's really no different than a husband's call to love in many ways. It's both people seeking the good of another, even at great cost to themselves. It really has everything to do with your preferences and will I exalt my desires, my preferences over what I believe God wants. Am I going to fight for what I want, what I feel I need, rather than giving and dying to those desires for the sake of, of another? And the beauty of what God has done for us is that he anchors the calls to husbands and wives, wives to submit and respect and husbands to love. It's all anchored in this, therefore be imitators of God. You see, because I want you to know that there are a couple of things when it comes to submission that we need to be aware of. You see, submission is not about blind obedience. 
Submission is not about blind obedience. If you think that when it says wives submit, it's like I have to obey my husband. I have to do whatever he, he calls me to do. I'm going to show you something so fascinating. Are you ready for this? Here we go. When you look here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks to wives and then to husbands, and then look down at verse 1 of chapter 6. He talks to children and he talks to parents. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what? Right. Some of you are like, why aren't we preaching on that today? Let's get to the children obeying their parents part. Well, do you notice, who does God call to obey? Children. Does he call wives to obey their husbands? Is this, is this what the command is in this, in this verse? You see, there's a distinction in these relationships. A child's relationship to a parent is vastly different than a husband's relationship to his wife. Obedience is about following. Obedience is about coming under, or I mean, submission is about following and coming under and supporting. But it's not about blind obedience. And we know this to be true because church, if a husband calls a wife to sinful obey behavior, she must not submit. God's word is abundantly clear. To submit doesn't mean that you do whatever it is that your husband says because if a husband calls you to sin, you to behavior that is sin, you must not submit. You ultimately are to be obedient always to the Lord first. And just as if a government calls upon us to do something that we know goes against the word of God, so too as we can't obey a government, so too if someone else in a position over us calls us to do something that contradicts the word of God, we must not obey. And I just want to say to the husbands, first and foremost, you won't find a passage in all of God's word that says to a husband, it's your responsibility to get your wife to submit. Right? Like, this isn't, we joke growing up, or I should not grow up, we were growing up. My, my wife and I, as we were young in our marriage, you know, I would be, you know, wanting to do, do something, and, and I would joke with Hannah, and I would say, submit, and she would say, love, and I'd be like, darn it, you got me, you know, and, 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 because I was joking, like, you don't, you don't do that. That's not your responsibility, Secondly, if a husband is engaged in sinful behavior, the wife must call it out. To submit to a man, i.e. your husband, because by the way, it says submit to your own husbands. It doesn't mean all the women here have to submit to the men of the church. This is about wives submitting to their husbands. If your husband is engaged in sinful behavior, you must call him out. And here's why, because he's your brother in the Lord first before he's your husband. And when we see sin in one another, to, to follow, to support, to assist, it doesn't mean that if, if someone is in sin that you just stand by idly and say, well, he's the leader. I can't do anything about what he's doing. No, no, we are to confront one another when there is not a display of Christ-likeness. If a husband is abusive towards his wife, the wife has to call that out. And the church has a responsibility to come alongside a wife in those because at the end of the day, while, while guess what, while wives are called to submit to the husband, we are ultimately all called to submit to the Lord, and the church is his representative of his authority here on earth. And so for any wife who finds herself in that situation, not only is she to call out her husband, and the husband should receive that, but also the church is to come alongside where, necess where necessary. So submission doesn't mean blind obedience. Also, submission does not mean inferiority. Inferiority. 
I love this so much. If we're really going to understand marriage, if we as husbands and wives are going to engage in what God calls us to here, when a wife is called to submit, it doesn't mean that she's inferior to her husband. To submit to someone doesn't mean you're saying that the other person is superior to you. You know that, right? To be in a relationship where you say, I'm going I'm to follow you, I'm going to assist you, I'm going to come underneath you, that doesn't mean that you're saying you're superior to me. To submit to someone does not mean that your role is any less significant. I hate using sports analogies sometimes in this, but it, but it works, right? Like, you know, Tom Brady as a quarterback, you know, if all of a sudden the offensive lineman's like, you know what, my job's just not important, and he just walks off, and the defense comes through and it sacks Tom Brady. Do you think Tom Brady thinks his offensive linemen who are there to protect him are important? Absolutely, but if he's like, no, no, it's just, it doesn't matter. No, each role is significant. Each role is important, and here's why we can say this. Do you know why we can say, why can we say that submission does not mean inferiority? It's because of Jesus Christ, God the Son, and his relationship with God the Father. You see, in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're of equal worth and equal value and worthy of praise. Everybody agree on that? Like, I mean, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each worthy of all glory and praise and honor. The, the, the distinct persons, this is this great mystery. Yet none is greater than the other. And yet, in their relationship, they have very distinct roles. Look at Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we read this. This is something I think is so important for us to see as we think about submission and how this works. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing or emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a what? Cross. Do you see what this passage is telling us? Jesus Christ fully understood his divinity. When he says that he was in the form of God, it's referring to his very divine nature. Jesus understood that he was God. And yet, what does he do according to the text? He comes down and he serves. And he obeys. Church, who does he serve? Who does he obey? According to the text, God the Father. So God the Son puts himself underneath God the Father. He serves and he obeys. Did Jesus in doing that, did he come and, and by his doing that, was that showing that he was worthy of less glory, worthy of less praise, that his role was more uh, or less significant than that of God the Father? Can we say that? No. We can't say that. In fact, in John 5.30, it says this. Jesus gets even more specific. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Church, the son who is equal with God the Father submits to the Father's headship with free, voluntary, joyful eagerness not out of coercion or inferiority. And so when we talk about submission, when we talk about the role of following, supporting, and assisting another, does that mean that that person who is in that role is inferior to the other person? Does that mean that that role is not as significant as the role that the other person has? The answer, because of the relationship of God the Father to God the Son, is 
No, it's not. And in fact, when you go in and you read the rest of Philippians chapter 2, well, just look at verse 8 again. And being found in form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In fact, Jesus' submission to the Father was not an assault on the Son's glory, but was actually, according to this verse, a magnification of it. Do you see this? Did you see the beauty of God's design? We can understand, like, you ask, why would God give a husband this role of leadership and a wife this role of leadership? Because that is how God has designed his own relationship to exist and function. Oh, and by the way, just so you know, did you know that a wife's submission to her husband, not yet, that a wife's submission to her husband <laughs> is temporary? Did you know that? A wife's submission to her husband is temporary, and a husband's leadership of his wife is temporary. Why do we know that? There's no marriage in heaven. There's no marriage in heaven. We will fully understand our equality and the beauty of God's design one day when we get to heaven. Yet while here on earth, God has designed marriage to function in this way. And do you know why? I can tell you why there's these roles. It's because, as we will see in great clarity next week, the role of a husband to a wife was designed by God for the purpose of helping us understand Christ's relationship to the church. I mean, this is the point that just blows everything away, that the whole reason why these roles exist is for the purpose of helping you and I understand how Christ relates to us and how we're supposed to relate to Jesus Christ in the beauty of that. You see, if man is coming and defining these things and giving these instructions, there can be a lot of pushback and rejection of it. But when we understand that God is designing it, not only does it give us pause, but then it creates wonder in us because we understand that God has something perfect and beautiful that he's doing here. And so it leads me to this, at least for today. Like I said, this is part two, part three is next week. Like, what does this look like in practice? Now you can show it. <laughs> I think the most, you know, beautiful picture of what this looks like is in pairs figure skating. When you think about the role of submission and the role of leadership, and nobody is watching a beautiful pairs figure skating, saying it's like, I just don't feel it's right for her to submit to him like that. That's just not a good thing. You know, it's like, look at his leadership there. When you look at pairs figure skating, they have to make a decision before they go on the ice. One is leading. And there has to be this trust where she is following him. He has to be ready to do the throws. He has to be ready to do the flips. He has to be the one saying, okay, now we're going to, to do this. If, if she in any way, shape, or form gets ahead of it, not only is there a danger to her and to, to him, but we know there's not a beauty that's on display. But when they are in sync in the roles that they have, it's almost seamless, and you can't even tell who's leading, who's in charge, and who's, and who's not. God comes and says, like, this is the picture that we're supposed to have. Biblical submission, this is two people coming together who understand their roles and saying, at the end of the day, the most important thing for us is to bring glory to God and to mirror to the world how Christ loves his church and how the church follows the leadership of Christ. And so when a wife comes to submit to the husband, she's saying, how can I assist 
How can I support? How can I follow in such a way that it doesn't undercut what he is doing? How does my heart, my attitudes and my actions demonstrate those things? Because when we live this out, a watching world, it sees the beauty of God's design. And when a wife has to die to the preferences that she has, when a wife at the end of the day has to come and say, okay, I will follow you as you go. Not what I would have wanted here. I know it's not an issue of, of sin. I might disagree with you, but I'm going to follow. You say, how is this possible? It goes back to the very first verse. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to who? The Lord. The wife understands that her role and her heart's attitude towards her role, it's not being done for her husband. Praise God for that. It's not being even done for the watching world. It's being done for the Lord, that this is what God has called me to. And if he's called me into this role, if this is what he has called me to be and to do, he will equip me to do it. And so I close with this. A wife thrives in her role when she knows it is done for and through Jesus Christ. A wife thrives in her role when she knows it is done for and through Jesus Christ. If you want to get ahead of me, you can put down a husband thrives in his role next week when he knows it's done in and through Jesus Christ. He's given us a beautiful design here. And so my prayer for us is that we would, because we understand what God's word calls us to, show the world what it looks like to be imitators of God in the relationships that he's given us. Because when we walk in love, when we walk in light, when we walk in wisdom, we know exactly what that means. May the Lord help us in this. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, your instructions, your word to us as your people, Father, it is really so clear and it is so good. And I love, Lord, that your word is not disconnected, but that every part of your word is connected, one part to the other. And it's because, Father, you're not a God of chaos, but you're a God of order and goodness and righteousness and, and holiness. And I thank you that, Lord, through Jesus Christ, what it is that you call us to, Lord, we can live in. And so husbands can love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives can, can follow their husbands as the church follows Jesus Christ. And we can engage in those things because, Lord, you have come in and you have made us once again who we once were, which is image bearers of you. And so that sin, Lord, doesn't dominate us. And that we are people who are not controlled by our desires and by our preferences, but a desire, Lord, to exalt you. And so, Lord, I pray for our marriages that are here today. Lord, I know in a room like this, Lord, with a message like this, there are some, Lord, who are struggling in their marriages. Lord, so I pray that the hope and the help of Christ, Lord, that you would use your word to, to reorder the thoughts about the roles that you have given to us. Lord, that they're in embracing what you have called them, them to, Lord, who have lost sight of what it looks like to support a, a husband, Lord, that they would look to Christ as their example of what that means. That you would help the husbands here today, Lord, to, to so exalt Christ in their lives, Lord, that they would die to self in order to lead their families and their wives well. And Lord, we are just grateful that we don't do this on our own, but we do this by the spirit that you provide. 
and through your son, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.